I've never been in a food fight. Should I still try to do it? <laughs> try, try to have a food fight. <laughs> <Maybe. Right, laughs> so, try to have a food fight. So you, you shoot a film and then you can then you can have a food fight and it. People won't well, think you're weird. <laughs> And welcome back, our dear listeners. Today in the podcast, something a bit more different for all of you. Kari has already been kind of threatening you all about us doing this thing where we ask back into the podcast our previous friends and collaborators. This time to talk about more about their projects and about them per se and not so much just international cinema. And our first ones to actually get this special treatment, our trial run episode in this podcast episode format, as one might say, we have our past friends from the, the Asian cinema circuit, the two, two professional film industry veterans, the spearheads of Mint Volcano film movement, and the hosts of the similar way titled Mint Volcano YouTube channel. Seriously, guys, you need to check them out. <laughs> Nick and Luke, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Hey, everyone. <laughs> yeah, welcome back. How's life for you two today? It's been some time since we last time chatted. Yeah, it's been uh, more than a year. Um, everything oh, is going God. good. Uh, I'm still in Taiwan, although I am probably going to be moving back to the States in a few months, but still in Taiwan, still working, uh, still doing the Mid Volcano YouTube channel. Yeah, thank you for having us, uh, Henry and Gary. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are very excited to, 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 to talking about our, our <laughs> piece again. Our pleasure. Yeah, uh, to actually to get this on the right foot, right off the gates. Nick, you mentioned that you are currently in Taiwan, perhaps moving back to US at some point, but kind of the, the first question I that really intrigues me is like what is your story? What took a director from Boston to all the way to Taiwan? Uh so yeah that's interesting. I, I actually um did an exchange program Uh, in Taiwan, my sophomore year of university. So I, there was like this program. I actually, I didn't get into the film one program that semester. Like it was full and I didn't know what I was going to do because I was like, well, I'm in film school and I'm going to be spending a whole semester not shooting anything. All the classes I got, none of them were, I was able to shoot stuff. And a friend of mine told me while I was working on his film, uh, he told me that he had done this Taiwan exchange program uh, at this film school called Shishin, which is like a very prestigious school in Taiwan. Um, and the coolest thing about it was that it was free because it was like a trial program. So you got a free semester of school and you got to go to Taiwan and I would get to shoot stuff in Taiwan. So I was like, it was kind of a no-brainer. It was kind of like a secret too, which was a cool thing. Like, 
not that many people knew about it. So I applied for it and I got in and I went to Taiwan uh, for the semester. And when I was here and I was working with the other film students here, I really felt like a strong connection with the way that people worked here, the mentality. There was like a, a, a passion and kind of like a, I would say there was just like this, this willingness to go the extra mile that I think in the film program that I was in in the United States, like people were very professional and very dedicated, but there was something about it where it was like there was a certain way that things needed to be, but I felt like there was more exuberance in the way that the students were in Taiwan and like the things they were shooting and the things they were trying. And it really connected with me. So I, I, you know, I had a great semester. I went back to Boston and I finished my university program there. And when I was going to graduate, all of the, the students from my program, they almost all of them moved to LA, go into the industry right away and start working. And I wasn't really ready to do that. I didn't really feel a connection to that path. I kind of didn't really feel like that. And I just remembered that my time working in Taiwan and shooting stuff in Taiwan was so great that I just decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and see what happens. So I came and I started teaching English first. Um, and then I got into a master's program in Taiwan, a uh, communications program. And mm -hmm. just kind of things started going well. I, I started getting uh, freelance work. Uh, I was able to stop teaching English and able to work as a filmmaker full time. And yeah, and, and just at every moment, uh, you know, things kept kept working out in Taiwan. I met Luke uh, working on uh, working on the 48 hour film project <laughs> was the first time we met each other. Um, yeah, so Taiwan just kind of always kept uh delivering good things to me so i i it was never like a plan to stay for as long as i have <laughs> but it just kind of it kind of worked out that way <laughs> but that's actually Nick, that's a quite a story and like quite inspirational also especially the part where you you yourself chose that you know you are going to get back to taiwan because usually the way how well at least my my perception of the industry and what we want when we are working in the industry, it's more like we want to get to Hollywood, we want to stay close to home, get into the production companies near us. So it's either like we want to stay on the domestic market or that we want to, you know, try to chase the, the Hollywood dream. And, and for you, it's been like this <laughs> deliberate decision to take another road. I think it, you know, it was a, it was a, it was kind of an interesting choice for me. I, you know, it's not like a path for riches and and fame, but it was something that I, I felt like it was right, and it just, I don't know, I just, I don't know if people believe in like fate or anything like that. It just felt like the right thing to do for me, and creatively, it felt uh, fulfilling for me. So that's why I decided to do it. Uh, what what about Luke? Just a quick summary mm -hmm. about about you. Well, I guess it's kind of obvious why you were in Taiwan, but now you're in New York for over over a year. Mm -hmm. So, how did that come about? Well, i i was uh, i I wasn't studying in film school. I was an engineering student while I was in college, but I knew when I was very young. I knew I loved photography and movies. 
So when I was in college, I went to the photography club that you study how to operate in cameras, right? I just, it won't take me too long to, to be the best of the club. And then I realized I wanted to really do it for my rest of my life. So I, I graduated from university, but I didn't become an engineer. I just decided to do photography. So after I graduated from college, I just go, I go back to Taipei and then I find a job in studio trying to be a good photographer. And in the meantime, I just trying to participate in as much as I could. So I went to 48 Hours Film Festival and where I met Nick and we started collaborating ever since. And he is the best director I have ever met because <laughs> we share the same idea. We, we have the same passion and energy, the way we work, it's just perfect match. So for me as a photographer, I really want some director like I can, some sort of you know, energy or idea um, mentality of film. So it's so comfortable to work with him. And the reason I went to the United States is because my wife, she, she kind of relocated to, 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 to New York. And I figured it's good, I mean, as a filmmaker or photographer, it's good to you know exploring the world better, the more, just go to places and then seeing more and then enrich your life, right? So I didn't say no and I even encouraged both of us to go. I didn't expect how long I, we will stay here. We're just following the road to see how it goes. Also, I trying to do more film stuff here. So I went to school, SVA or SVP for filming classes. And there I make some good, good friends and I still making uh, some indie films, collaborating with students or, or someone they want to make films together. So you had a mechanical background, so mm-hmm. do you think that plays somehow into into your passion as a photographer? Yes. Cause I think you kind of alluded to that. Exactly, because photography involves a lot of techno- te- technical stuff, right? The camera, the lighting, all those technology is is updating every, every single day. So I, mm-hmm. for me, camera is just toys. I really enjoy playing playing with toys, right? <laughs> so it's, it's fun for me to really get deep into the, the te- technology behind the camera, how it works, how you make it look better. And also I really enjoy the artistic perspective of the f- photography. So combining both, I think is perfectly matched for my personality. So I feel photography is my whole life pursuit. So, yeah. Right. Uh, for Nick, maybe this question, well, it wouldn't suit for, for Luke, but uh, how's your, how do you see your journey as a, as a person, how you might have uh, evolved, changed during your time in Taiwan as a filmmaker or as a person trying to kind of assimilate into the local co- culture learning how the uh, how everything works all the ins and outs that you need to how how is the whole working culture different to what you would perceive in the u.s and all things like that all the cultural differences ah, that's uh that's an interesting question that's kind of hard to answer let me think um yeah but i guess you um, had a lot of uh, difficulties first when you arrived there and yeah needed to know how things work 
Um, yeah, I suppose, uh, you know, learning the language, like when I first came, I didn't speak Chinese. So learning the language uh, is an important, was an mm-hmm. important obstacle. Uh, and w- the better I got at Chinese, just the better everything started to to work. I think being able to communicate with people, even though it's funny, Luke and I on set usually use a mix between of Chinese and English and probably more English. But Mm-hmm. But just being able to ha- have Chinese and be able to speak in Chinese with Luke sometimes and like he knows that if he needs to, he can speak Chinese and I know if I need to, I can speak English with him. I think that really works works well in our working relationship when we work together. And I found I find that working with people just if they kind of know even though people speak English and their English is pretty good, if they know that you can also speak Chinese, it gives them a little bit of, uh, it just puts them a little bit at ease where they don't feel as much pressure. And then they're, mm-hmm. then they're still able to speak English with you because I think they like to speak English with you, but they don't feel like, oh no, I have to speak English. It allows them to relax. I found that that's like a big, that was like a big change of like, when I meet people and I'm going to work with them, their first question is always like, can you speak Chinese? And I'll say yes. And they'll be like, okay, good. <laughs> but they'll still speak English with me. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so, so I find that, 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 that learning Chinese really helped a lot in being able to, to work uh, with people. Um, and then the other thing is, was just kind of, um, I think in any, in any place that you work, I don't think this is exclusive to Taiwan, but just getting to know more people, uh, you know, the more people that you know and the, the, the good relationships that you have with people are really important in kind of people, people being able to trust you to work on their films, especially when you're dealing with smaller works or independent films. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot about trust with the person that you're going to be with because when you're working with somebody, you have to have a good relationship in order to work well together and in order to create something because there's a lot of there can be a lot of pressure uh in the you know when you're working on something so you need to have this kind of good relationship so i think developing those relationships the longer i've been here has helped a lot in creating stuff too and a little Mm -hmm. tangent on that language aspect how long did it take for you to to learn uh chinese or did you learn some before before you came to the country or did it take Uh, not really i didn't know very much i took like a class and i got a c in it so i didn't do that well when i was learning in the u.s um and then when i came i got really serious about it and i i was taking one-on-one classes like three to four times a week um and i basically just like was very very serious about it for about two years and then i kind of got a basic level after about two years and then from there, I was able to get better exponentially by being able to just talk with people and have conversations with people and like learn a lot quicker. So I would say it took about two years to be able to get kind of a early intermediate level. And from there, I think I got better a lot better, a lot quicker. I would imagine it's uh, easier to start talking or, or use, use the uh, speaking language instead of writing language. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my writing is still not the best. <laughs> right. For me, Nick is really, he really know uh, and respect Taiwanese culture. He really mm. knows stuff. He, he's not just know language. He know the culture. He know everything. Mm. He even, 
he talks like Taiwanese. He 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 dresses like Taiwanese. He eats like Taiwanese. So he's really get into into it. And then you feel it's not about language. Sometimes it's just it's about culture. And、yeah. he really know it. And he really appreciate.、It. And he he study really hard. And then a lot of. I I would say the way they think, he think the way uh the, just just the way they feel make make me feel really relaxed like <laughs> like your family like like he's your your neighbor or something really wow <laughs> that means a lot to hear you say that <laughs> that's true that's very true so yeah and also he's from the United States so I love the I love work work with him because he knows stuff about Taiwan and also he's. He found different backgrounds, so for me, I really pick out a lot of stuff on him. So, appreciate it. <laughs> Amazing. So, one reason why we wanted to to start with you, especially when when we were choosing like who is the the first one we ask to be our returning collaborators on on the podcast, who we are going to focus on, and me and Kari we pretty quickly zoom on you you two. And I guess the reason reason why we were so intrigued to have you return back to the Flick Lab is that we kind of you you two you kind of mirror me and Kari in the sense that both me and Kari we we have done and we do our own separated individual stuff and work on individual fields, but we also do collaborations like this podcast, and that's also something that. Kind of unites the two of you. You both have like a like a long running resumes of of stuff that you've done individually, but you also have had hugely successful career as collaborators. Like for example, the the effects, your recent short film, or the highly successful Everything Rises. So.、Mm-hmm. To kind of ask you from the artistic perspective, we have already kind of talked about how how the work kind of balances itself out between the two of you guys. But if I would ask from the artistic perspective, like artistics wise, what do you guys feel? What have you gained from the from each other in your collaborations? Hmm. Um. I, I can I go first because Luke said a lot of nice stuff about me, so I, I need to return the favor <laughs> and say a lot of nice stuff about him now.、Um, I think the thing that is great about Luke is is when he you know he's talking about the technical stuff and he really does、uh, care and pay a lot of attention to that stuff. And when I work with him, I can trust that that part of the production is going to be done well and it's going to be handled professionally and. And there's this also this、uh, thing that he mentioned about our having kind of a good connection between the two of us that is really important when you're working on a film. And I think there's a word in Chinese called "moqi," which is like、mm-hmm. you you're able to. The meaning of it is kind of like you're able to know what the other person is thinking without having to like say so much.、Mm-hmm. And I think that Luke and I have that where where when we work together, I'm able to kind of. We he kind of knows like what I'm gonna want and what I'm gonna need without me even having to like say. So one example would be like we're shooting stuff and we're setting up stuff, and maybe he's he doesn't have anything to do, but I'm working with the actor. Luke will go and he'll take close-ups of stuff, just you know whatever、uh, little things. While like if he's able to, you know, if it's not like 
if he has the time. And when I'm looking through the footage later, I'll see like, oh, wow, Luke got all this like close-ups of, of little details that I can use in my edit. And I didn't even have to ask him to do that. Um, <laughs> stuff, stuff like that is just so amazing when you're, when you're working on a film. And, and just uh, I think as a technical person, like I'm not – photography is just like not something that I love. And, I, and I, a lot of people do and a lot of directors do too. But for me, uh, I've always been more attached to the post-production and editing stuff. So having somebody that I can work with that really loves the photography side um, is just so great. And I can always trust that like that part of it is going to be is going to be done well. So the and I guess what I learned from that, the thing that I learned from that is that when you work with people, you can't do everything. I was kind of used to trying to do everything. But having somebody like Luke, who I know I can just be like, okay. I'm giving this to him and I'm letting him have the creative control over this aspect of the film uh, and kind of letting go of that a little bit mm-hmm. is a good lesson, I think, for filmmakers. I think a lot of people try to control mm. everything all the time um, and mm. they think that a director needs to be controlling. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. a director also needs to allow good people to do mm-hmm. what they're good at. So I learned that from Luke. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I guess that's a that's a le- lesson that kind of is is shared by all the directors because i've uh, i also had the exact same experience i have to also learn that the hard way do not try to do yeah. everything by yourself mm-hmm. but yeah look sorry i i ran all over you there so you were saying no oh yeah uh, i mean for me i feel the same way to to nick because uh he 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 gave me a lot a huge uh freedom to to be able to film. I mean, some director really taking control of everything and I have no little choices myself. I just kind of like camera operator, you know? But for Nick, he he, he, he gave me like huge, huge space, like huge freedom mm-hmm. to make me do photography. And I, I really respect that. And I, when I work with him, I wanted to do my best because he gave me his trust, right? So I would say I, I'm so I'm so happy to work, work with him. It's not only because he's so talented and he knew everything, but also he gave me the freedom to to perform my my skill, my my my, my vision. And then we would talk about a lot of a lot of stuff before we shooting. And then so I have better idea what he needs. So when I when we on set, I can I can kind of just trying to you know my best to able to do do the photography and also make something more interesting do you have any idea how many collaborations you have done together at this point Ooh, uh that's a good question let me see maybe one two three um, uh, um at least 10 maybe 10 mm-hmm. films about 10, 10 short films 10. right something like yeah. that right and by now we of course know that you have an amazing chemistry together but but how about when you have started to work in Taiwan or even across different years in being in Taiwan, like, is there ever those moments where somebody local would be asking you that, no, that's not, not what a Taiwanese person would say, or they're telling you to alter the script or do any changes because it's not natural or uh, was there anything like that? Um, I can't think of anything like that. Like, I think, 
I always tried to be open. Like, for example, on um, Everything Rises, I wrote that script mm-hmm. in English. And then I sat down with the actors and with Luke and with all of everybody mm-hmm. else in the crew who's all Taiwanese. And we all kind of went through. And we, and we did this with effects, too. Went through it. And we talked about it. And we said, okay, this line is in English. How would you translate it? I didn't try to translate it myself. I, I basically was like, look, uh, this is what it says. How would you say it? They tell me the Chinese. And I think, okay, that's pretty good. What about, and we just talk about every line. Um, and we have, and the actors actually translated all the lines themselves with us. And we mm-hmm. all talked about like, oh, this line seems natural. Um, this is what this means. This is like a good connection to the, to the English um, idea. And then, and we discuss it that way. So I think, you know, in general, I don't know if we ever ran into that problem because mm. I tried to allow the people, like Taiwanese people, to to have that part of that kind of also creative control over that. Because I'm never going to be able to write Chinese like a native speaker, so mm-hmm. it makes sense to allow them to come up with the the dialogue, the exact phrasing. Right, it makes sense. Yeah, there's a couple of themes that repeat in in your works. I would say. I'm not sure if the right way to describe this first one is anti-capitalistic uh, things, like in effects. Uh, it could be also just some kind of a yearning for nature, like the quotes such as "technology makes us miserable." They should have never built a city like Taipei, etc., etc. What is, by the way, this nature area in effects? Because it feels like it could be like a famous spot. Um, I'm, I mean, what was Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We it is actually quite famous. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anything else, Henrik, that you found like the similarities in these projects? Because there's quite a few of them. Well, uh, perhaps perhaps the biggest one that I noticed, outside of of course, you know, the, the critique of capitalism, capitalism, which I also felt is quite strong element. In your works, especially long run with Nick, who also his his like early solo stuff actually was quite critical of. Well, at least my reading was that it was kind of a quite critical of of capitalism, quite quite critical of a different type of systems, like for example social systems in in gatherings and and between persons. There was kind of a this punk rock vibe that I I got. <laughs> And I still do get from a lot of stuff that you guys do. Another kind of a, like, in my opinion, a repeating theme would be the theme of ur- urban isolation. It's it's the easiest one to spot in, perhaps, in when looking at effects. Like Kari already said, we, we have, like, em- we have empty streets. We have people alone in in, in a lot of places and in a lot of spaces. In in fact, to a point where at times, seeing exactly how small country Taiwan is and how densely it's populated, I would it, it almost feels like it's actually harder for you guys to get all those isolated moments in the cities than it would be like just get a random big enormous group shot where you have like 50 people it would be easier to find those 50 people than an empty street but yet in your work there's there's a lot of emptiness and there's actually a lot of 
playing with the theme of emptiness and abandonment of a space. I'm strongly thinking about uh, the fashion photography work that you have done and for example some of Luke's photographs. Mm-hmm. There's the the dolls photo shoot which has that staircase in in the pitch black night darkness and that's mm. kind of a, like that staircase that that photo of a staircase it's a it's a kind of a combination of a space and empty space a certain type of anti space the sp- darkness surrounding the the staircase kind of a gives it a kind of a cage around it and the combi- combined effect it's it's something that well at least to me it did remind me me like for example a lot of inception and the Penrose steps paradox that was presented there. Oh, wow. So I, I would say that you know space and not space is something that you know you guys have a lot, lots in your work. Yeah, depth. Oh wow, wow, thank you. Depth of of spaces. And in, in fact, to, to continue from that tangent just a little bit more, we can to touch another film that you you guys made, a dark landscape which is a horror short film, a kind of a ghost story, but from a completely different angle that, than traditionally. So I, I would perhaps the first question relating to dark landscape, like what is your relationship with horror films and ghost stories? Um, so for me, I really love horror films like that is like when I early started to get into filmmaking, I really liked uh, horror. And I love like the DIY, as you mentioned, like punk rock aspect of horror. And I find that it's a genre that you can experiment, but also people are willing to accept that experimentation because you can kind of say it's supernatural. Whereas if you do it with um, drama or other genres people kind of are a little bit more critical they they're willing to be like i don't really understand but with horror uh people kind of suspend their disbelief so i was always drawn to horror for the the way that it allows experimentation originally though like if you mentioned one of my earlier works kind of crush which is like a, a more punk rock kind of like splattery kind of like messy kind of film uh i think as yeah as i as i kind of got older uh i think i kind of was a little i'm a little more introspective thinking about stuff so dark landscape is is kind of that trying to bring that dramatic side uh to the horror genre which i've always wanted to kind of go back to and explore i always want to go into the horror genre but i i feel uh my sensibilities as a director are probably a little bit more serious (laughs) so so uh, Dark Landscape is kind of trying to mix those two things. It's trying to make a film that's a horror film, but also like arty and exploring a lot of the themes that I think about a lot, which is, you know, loneliness, alienation, stuff like that. Yeah, Crash that you mentioned, that was a like one of the, the films that I, I was strongly thinking about. And also, also Midnight Snack was something that... Oh, yes. Like, I, I, I visited your... The, the Mint Volcano the YouTube page, and you made a fil- video about the first Tetsuo, right. the Iron Man, 
where you were talking about like the real punk rock aesthetics and like like what is punk and what would be punk filmmaking and you shot some pretty harsh comments towards the the recent cyberpunk 2077 video game <laughs> yeah. where, where, where you yeah. said that it, it's it's like the you made the notion that that cyberpunk is kind of a like like a business version of punk in in the yeah. sense that like you you accuse the game that it's not really punk it's just kind of a taking an an aesthetic a, yes, a punk sure. aesthetic and that's all that it has and i was kind of like okay that's a in- interesting notion and then um, you know, visiting your earlier works, visiting Crush, looking at Midnight Snack, looking at Duck Season, I I actually started to, to like, I kind of got a hang of, like, where you are actually coming from. And and I saw, like, that, like, yeah, you are being driven by by the dirtiness and the messiness that is kind of in, that you said that is in the core of punk. When you want to do real punk, you have to be messy, kind of all over the place and that's a yeah. lot like to put it in in a simple terms looking at your past work kind of opened to me your points about cyberpunk 2077 and also the points you made about the tetsuo yeah i think having that like human i think punk rock in general is like very human it's like this feeling of being alive and like and kind of allowing things to be not perfect you know, it's very like the anti-AI. Um, so I think I definitely do want to kind of revisit uh, that messiness because I think there's something very interesting there, this idea of not everything being perfect. And it's something that disturbs me about like the Netflix aesthetic and like the way mm. that films are now is like everything needs to be clean. I think people mm. expect that and audiences expect that films are so have to be so perfect and they're not willing to... Uh, watch something if there's like minor technical flaws but there's so many great films that you can see if you just allow a little bit of messiness dirtiness kind of uh imperfection and i and i think artistic movements in the future personally my opinion is like allow people to experiment and try things and do weird stuff that is maybe not perfect uh don't get attached to this idea of like something is good because it's clean you know that that that's very important to me. <laughs> it might be an aspect that people gravitate towards years and years later. They they remember though those little little things that were kind of not supposed to be there, but then they turn to to love them. <laughs> yeah, one thing that I noticed about your projects, the subject of food is reoccurring in your projects. Kind of, if I may say so, kind of the abuse of food, perhaps, or the <laughs> horrification of food, if if that's a word prevalent so nick why do you hate food so much (laughs) um (laughs) yeah it's it's so funny like even when i was in when i was in film school and i was writing scripts and i had ideas for stuff uh my roommate his name is jeff i'm still friends with him uh he he mentioned like as he was as i was working i think i was when i was making crush um he was he was like man you really like just like messy food and like (laughs) things just being like gross and like destroyed and yeah i I don't know why but i there's just something so fun about that to me of like 
food maybe it's it's like the childhood thing of like a food fight you know like who doesn't like a food fight right <laughs> yeah yeah right i i can say i've never been in a food fight it's one of those things that you you kind of notice when you are 30 in your 30s and you realize you never actually did that as a kid and then you are you start to think that like now as a grown ass man should i still try to do it <laughs> try to have a food fight <laughs> right so try to have a food fight so you you shoot a film and then you can then you can have a food fight and people won't well, think you're weird. It's good excuse to to do it. And you know, hey, that that's a that's a great point that you can do that when you when you're filming. You can do so many yeah. things when you're filming. Kind of kind of obvious, but but you get special access to to people and uh, well, kind of like what we're doing right now, or you get interviews with. People you would never in your life get access to otherwise, but then you say that you're gonna do an inter- interview. Okay, great. When? So <laughs> that kind of thing, and you can do all these crazy things. Nice. I was just thinking, was there anything related to Chinese food symbolism there that I might have missed? Um, so in the film uh, Midnight Snack, part of that, uh, what that film is kind of about, is it's a it's a guy goes to the night market with his girlfriend she buys him this food and he eats it and it kind of takes him over and kills him uh basically is what happens in that in that film uh and that kind of for me was i think there's there's this kind of phenomenon of westerners or foreigners that come to taiwan and they are kind of helpless to what they're because they don't speak the language and they don't you know they don't understand the culture so they're a little bit helpless to what their girlfriends kind of give them and they they have they're controlled in a way by their their significant other girlfriend or boyfriend um and and so it's kind of a comment on that of like how how this idea of food being given to somebody it's really it's a very controlling aspect of your life it's a huge part of your life so that film was kind of about how uh how uh, people allow their significant other to kind of control certain aspects of their life and kind of like a trap feeling uh that you can get into if you allow that to happen to yourself and you kind of just go with the flow of what another person wants you to do and i think food is always a good it's a metaphor that i think a lot of people understand because you have to eat and it's it's physical it's a physical act i think that's another reason i'm always drawn to it what about your guys high high points or what's your favorite things that have happened to you <laughs> maybe it's a project that you didn't do together but it's probably something that you collaborated in i know that you did the everything rises and effects and maybe everything rises is something really important to you because you had it as an award winner in festivals um i think for me like a high point it's interesting like when you make stuff when you're done you know the, the way that the cycle of like artwork is like works is like when you when you get the idea you think like oh this is like the best idea ever um i'm a genius and then (laughs) and then you start to work on it and you make it and as you're doing it you think like oh my god i'm an idiot i don't know what i'm doing (laughs) this is a terrible idea and i don't know how to execute it and it's not like i imagined at all and then when i get to the editing process then i'm like trying to fix it and like figure out how to make it turn it into something um Ah. and as then i'm working on it then it becomes something totally different that i didn't expect and usually it's not 
it I've never gotten to like the I'm a genius back to the I'm a genius thing again <laughs> that I imagined I would get to when I came up with the idea. But I always end up getting something that I'm proud of, you know, mm-hmm. um, in various ways. Um, but when it's done, I always, especially something that me and Luke, I always like to do with him is like when we're finished with a project, we sit down and we talk about it and we say like, okay, so like, what did we learn from this? Like, what did we do that we think we can do better? And we just Mm -hmm. discuss like, okay, I think when we're shooting, we can make sure that we, you know, get more of this kind of stuff or we need, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we need to upgrade our equipment a little bit for this kind of Mm -hmm. stuff, or maybe we need another person on set to help us with Mm -hmm. a certain area. Um, and, and then it gets me fired up for the next project. So I always kind of look back on work fondly, but I always try to maintain the perspective of like, okay, the next one I'm going to try to improve and do better. So that's kind of the perspective that I, that I try to have with work like that. I think that, so that's like the kind of non-answer to your question, but the answer answer is I think effects <laughs> for me is, is a really personal film and a film that Luke and I, uh, I think we we definitely leveled up a lot in. Like we, it you know we mm. we set out to do a lot of dialogue in that in that it was it's, it's a lot of yeah. talking, and we worked with actors that we hadn't really we didn't know we just met them for the project and we we did it. So I'm really proud of executing that. And when I look back on that, I I, I always I still feel. Like that's a really solid mm. film and mm-hmm. one that yeah. everybody who I show it to, you know, they they feel uh, connected to too. I think it's it speaks to it's about death and and dying and dealing with death. And I think a lot of people understand that feeling and and feel connected to the movie because it you know it displays those emotions. So that movie you know means a lot to me personally and also I think it we did a really good job with it. So I'm proud of that one. Yeah, that exactly. was. So I would get back to this. It's just, for me, it's executing. And uh, I love, well, I can, can I use the term? The problem solving? Like when Nick or we have an idea, and then I love challenge. So every time Nick bring an idea to me, I would say, okay, let's do it. And then I will try everything we could to fulfill it, to execute it, and really enjoy it figure out how we're going to do it it's just maybe it's part of my engineering background kind of driving like uh, enjoying of how we're going to do things then trying to execute it so I really actually I really enjoy being on set and trying to figure out okay so how we going to do it and every time after we finished and then Nick editing I was just so surprised that he can nail it even better that I, I I always trying to figure out what we're going to be to be the final product, right? Before we shooting, I would always try. Okay, so if I shoot this footage, then how would it come into the film? Like how are you going to put put it together, and how it would probably be looks like. But every time Nick always surprised me with better results. So I so so impressed, and I so enjoy joy, so enjoying of uh, um making each shot because. It's for me, I, I feel so fulfilled of problem solving and then executing photography. So for me, I just, I upset with Nick 
and he he probably he doesn't really enjoy on set, but I so enjoy on set. <laughs> so, well, you know, so it's just both. <laughs> you know, yeah, I I always say that I don't like being on set, but more and more I do actually really enjoy it, and and it's yeah. something that I've learned I've learned to like, and especially like. That's going back to the previous thing about like something that I learned from Luke. Actually, that's something that I learned from you is to to enjoy set because because before <laughs> set was always stressful for me. Like getting the shots, it's I always was like oh I I want I have to get this a time limit and la 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 all this stuff. But you know working with Luke, I, he allows me to feel more comfortable and because he likes set so much. I always it reminds me like you know this actually is kind of fun because I can see him having fun and so I'm like you know <laughs> I, I, sh- I need to try and live in the moment here a little bit and enjoy this so that's definitely something that that I try to take away but you know what because you I mean because of the anxiety of you being in unsaid because actually that helps a lot sometimes you, you will manage the timing you will know okay we need a schedule to catch because some director doesn't really have sense of that. So a lot of time we're just spending like hours doing nothing, but you always push, pushing me forward. <laughs> like, okay, it's time to move on. Let's shut it. Okay, we, we're done here. So let's go. So <laughs> it's good to have someone like you to you know, let the whole teams know, okay, we need to move on and go. It's not wasting time of some sort of thing doesn't really important <laughs> so, i'm glad my anxiety is yeah. useful <laughs> it's, it's super useful I, I really enjoy i mean i mean that's someone someone must to have this kind of uh, no uh this kind of mindset answer otherwise we were just spending time of doing nothing <laughs> <laughs> nick stop being so good uh <laughs> this uh case about the crushing boots in in crush do we want to talk about the actor part in that or is that a secret <laughs> oh no um i i mean we can if we want to like the the there's a cameo of with uh daniel scheinert who's the director of everything everywhere all at once he uh he acted in that film um mm. so he so you can see him when he was in college we went to emerson college together um and we're friends the other another person in that film actually is billy chu Uh, he's the guy that's with the girl he he is the writer of a film called the death of dick long screenwriter and they're really good friends um still uh that was also directed by daniel shiner and he he was a screenwriter of that Mm -hmm. so so there's a little bit of easter eggs for art film lovers in that my thesis (laughs) film (laughs) well there were a couple of short films shot in Europe. I was wondering if these were shot on the same script and how did all those come about? We have the survival, the Auschwitz-Birkenau short doc, and then there's the the Twins of Firenze and uh, The World is Your Ashtray. Anything about those? Um, Yeah, those are projects that I worked on when I was in, I was living in Berlin. Uh, for like 14 months um and all of those were created by myself you know i didn't have luke at that time luke was Mm -hmm. in taiwan um Mm -hmm. and so so i was just trying to always i always try to create uh with whatever resources i have i didn't really know anybody there um so i tried to adapt uh the projects of what i could do to what 
you know, I was able to do on my own. So the places you'll ash uh, came about because I was with my wife and we were traveling all these different countries. And I, you know, I noticed that, you know, Europeans smoke a lot. <laughs> and I just kind of started an Instagram page actually called the world is your ashtray. And I, and I was just taking photos. And then I realized like, you know, this is kind of an interesting film idea. And so I made it over the course of the whole year, just every time I would go somewhere and I would see a beautiful place, I would get a, I would try to get a nice shot of it with a cigarette butt in frame. And it was surprisingly easy to do. It didn't take that much time to find cigarette butts anywhere. Like <laughs> I would just go, I would see something and I'd be like, okay, uh, look around for three seconds. Oh, there's a cigarette butt. Okay, frame the shot. And then if that shot didn't look quite right, I'd be like, okay, I can just move over 10 feet. There's another one over there. I can reframe it and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, set it up. So I wonder where this trend started because <laughs> maybe maybe you started it all. Who knows? Like There's a couple of those Instagram pages taking pictures of cigarette butts on Instagram. And uh, yeah, probably kind of self-explanatory how your experience was at Auschwitz. I've also been there once it was a really quick visit it was just about to close like 15 minutes let's run <laughs> and uh yeah check out some horrible places but yeah part of the place was closed when i was there but the, the main area i i understood but yeah yeah was... i mean it's it's a difficult place to to be in and you can really feel the um just kind of the i don't know if if, if people believe in like spirits and stuff like that but but I'm I'm a skeptic in most areas, but when it comes to that kind of stuff, and when you're in places like that, you kind of it takes your skepticism away a little bit because you can feel just kind of I don't know the energy of the stuff that happened there when you're there. So you know, I I didn't really know what I was. That was another case of like I didn't really know what I was gonna do with the footage. I just yeah had my camera and I was filming, mm. and then I I kind of compiled it in the editing room in a way that made sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, dark yeah. clouds is something that you both, I understand, don't really want to spend too much time on. I think it's something that also can be seen in your material, such as uh, films like uh, Holding a Spark and Effects. Yeah, that we worked on that together. Yeah, so these two, they kind of go into the whole that you have this negative self-talk or you have negative thoughts and you, then you find your way out of it yeah that that work was actually written by um luke's wife oh okay oh <laughs> yeah she she's very talented she, she she's yeah she's also an artist of she, she's now doing ceramics so she she draws she do ceramics she writes she also a model <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, and we had talked about kind of like the feeling of like when you're working on something and how you don't don't feel like it's good at a certain point. And so that was kind of the thing that we had discussed with that. And then she wrote that script for that. And then Luke and I um, kind of came up with the the visuals for that mm-hmm. to match to the to this to the script. It's kind of more of like a visual poem, I would say. Mm. Well, speaking about visual poems. Let's reel us all the way back to dark landscape and therefore back to the work you guys do and let's try to try to gear this whole thing towards ending the session finally. <laughs> But talking about visual poems, dark landscape, unique you, you mentioned that you didn't really like 
or you didn't used to like being on set and you find it kind of anxiety inducing. <laughs> yeah. Yet, yet Dark Landscape opens literally on the set. We have a weird meta, kind of a meta breaking the fourth wall, seeing the, showing us the filmmakers doing the set film or in-universe interview in that moment. And we are also taking some cues from grimy old VHS outlook and we are telling a ghost story where the ghosts are, at least in my reading and in my interpretation, are not so much a lethal or carnal danger and not in the film even per se. It's a ghost story kind of without ghosts. And the ghosts instead are more as emotions. The the dread of uh, breaking up a relationship, ship, belonging, isolation, stuff like that. They are the ghosts are more emotions and feelings, at least to me in in dark landscape. And that kind of, for me personally, brought the whole experience closer to the old gothic roots of ghost stories, like something that Lefanu and and Shelley wrote on their time. So, kind of my first question concerning Dark Landscape, like, where actually did the idea for a ghost story without ghosts (laughs) came from? And and how was it it like to shoot this type type of kind of traditional, but at the same time extremely experimental horror film? Um, so that film uh, came about because Luke was moving to New York um, mm. and I wanted to do one more work before we we left. Um, but we kind of were talking and we didn't know what we were going to do. And so there's this film called Simbo Psycho Taxiplasm. I don't know if, if you guys have heard of it. It's a really it's like one of my favorite films. It's, it's great. Um, but it's basically this experimental documentary where the people making the film talk about making the film. And so the idea for this started of like, okay, I'm going to remake that kind of thing, but as a horror movie. So, so we met the first, like that meeting in the beginning of the film and that, that kind of replays throughout the film. That's us planning this film. So like we meet and we're and we, I was like, okay, we're going to film us talking about what ghost story we're going to tell in this movie. And so you know, I asked all the actors like about their experiences with ghosts and we all talked about them. And then after that, I took the I took what they said and then I wrote a script kind of loosely based on some of the stuff and the themes that they had talked about. Um, and a lot of it had to do, interestingly, with like the creepiest things that had happened to them kind of had to do with their relationships with people. And so then I tried to draw that theme out of like, that is really, I think, what people are connecting to when they're connecting with ghosts is they're connecting with their ideas about relationships with other people. Um, And that is like a presence in their life that haunts them. So that was kind of the, the, the way that I thought about that. Yeah, it's a kind of, it, it kind of piqued my eye. Because kind of looking back at the, the history of a ghost, that's kind of what ghosts have been traditionally in the early days. 
when we kind of came up with the ghosts. Ghosts were seen as some type of a non-physical embodiments of of these feelings, longing and and losing something, and perhaps not getting justice for something. They weren't really the the today's typical Hollywood jump scare, monster, danger things. But there were something more profound. And therefore yeah. I was... I, I mm-hmm. immediately kind of ta- started to look at that. that the, oh my God, you, you guys are taking this kind of more old school approach to what a ghost is. <laughs> yeah, it's funny too because I remember uh, when the film, like when I was finishing the film uh, and like showing it around to people and stuff uh, and kind of I put up a trailer for it you know certain people that i know like aren't really into art films were like oh cool you made a horror movie like i really want to see it i love horror movies and i was like <laughs> yeah you're probably not gonna like this one because it's not <laughs> it's not really like it, uh it's not like a horror scary kind of a thing yeah uh, it, 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 it's not a paid thing jumping at you screaming yeah yeah it's kind of in a way it's it's even something scarier it's like the 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 horror of your emotional attachments speaking of emotions how much of these some of these films do you think are stemming from your own experiences when it comes to effects perhaps how much is there about like true loss if you want to talk about that kind of things um well i mean i i try to with everything that i do i try to try to um have it come from a genuine place um Mm. so things that i'm thinking about and feeling i always try to put into what i what i'm working on and my ideas um uh and effects when i made that my it was a few years after my best friend had passed away and so that was what i was thinking about all the time when and luke actually inspired that movie uh because i had just come back from germany and I met with Luke, we we had lunch, and he was like, mm-hmm. we got to make something. Like, I really miss making something with you. Um, <laughs> like, I want to shoot something. And at that time, I wasn't really thinking about making stuff. I was kind of mm-hmm. feeling a little, like, all over the place. I was moving back to Taiwan. I didn't know, like, what am I I'm looking for jobs? I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And when he said that to me, I, I took a train. I was taking a train back from Taipei to to Shinju where I was living at the time and I just wrote it I wrote the whole thing it just like came out all these things that I was thinking about and feeling came out in that in that script and so it was a really good thing that I think Luke released was allowed me to release those emotions um Mm. and making that film was a really uh important experience for me in dealing with the way that i felt about the death of my friend you know um Mm. a lot of that stuff i was able to explore through the making of the film that i think i wasn't really dealing with personally so so yeah that was a good a a good experience and really interestingly too like when we were shooting that film and we were on set um there's one scene where the actor was on the roof and he the actor who was playing the dead character my friend he's on the roof and he was talking and i you know back to this idea of spirits or whatever like i really felt that presence of my friend in the way that he was behaving and acting i was like 
it was very bizarre. I was like, the, he is acting exactly like hmm. him right now. It's it was really interesting and and strange. Um, so I think that that's I don't know. That's just something that that I noticed as well. So probably a connection there too between that and dark landscape. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. You guys have so much material out there that, uh, yeah, it was kind of hard to f- focus on only one thing. Me as a kind of a completionist trying to go through, go through everything. <laughs> and then, you know, I you really know. appreciate that you did that. That you watched so many of um, of our stuff. Uh, you know, I think it means a lot to to that you guys uh, talk about our work in this way. You know, because we're you know we're not big famous people, um, mm. but but it's cool that you guys watched our pieces and and are able to appreciate them and stuff. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, I just I just kept thinking about um, things like when I'm going through this kind of work. Yeah, you just see the amount of maneuverability that 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 you guys have and hopefully keep having because you're in this type of uh, art artistic space with 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 less rigorous requirements and uh, perhaps deadlines and and budgets as as compared to some of the big ones out there so so that also gives that kind of more room for creativity i would i would say so yeah had a great time watching this stuff for me nick is so authentic he he's never lying he just put her put his heart in every single script every single story he wrote i mean nick is really true heart person like he never trick he never he never even trying to be fancy or trying to please the audience he just he just doing what he really feel right this is why i appreciate him because he's really fulfilled true heart not some director really wanted to show off, but he's not. He's just, yeah, just you know, it's really, really, really important. And you know, I feel at least that sometimes it's hard to know what is authentic and being authentic and being true to yourself and mm. trying to navigate that. That that you're, the thing that you're not doing is not so much pushed by by your ego to to do something mm. because they might like it or because somebody <laughs> wants to see this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a jungle out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that's amazing. Well, we have been talking a lot. Practically, this this whole episode, up until this point, mostly about your video work and the, and the short films you guys have done. But you have done so much else. So much other than just just video. I'm l- mm. especially looking at the the photo, the fashion photo shoots that you've done mm. together. This is m- more tightly looks territory, but Unique, you yeah. also have worked as a as a director and video editor for mm. for some of, some of these fashion shoots. And talking about, Kari mentioned the the whole. Being authentic and and pushing your ego, and we have been talking about your kind of punk attitude and the anti-establishment, anti-capitalism st- takes that at times are pretty pretty on front in in your works. And I would say, like to get into the whole fashion photography that you guys did, I'm thinking more of the especially the 
The Dolls and Red Carpet photoshoots, mm. which, oh. well, once again, it's extremely rich from a podcast co-host to have have the ma- maestros here and then stra- start to, to explain what it all means. But I, I found a lot of criticism and pretty profound criticism of the fashion world in in your in your stuff in in especially like like I said red carpet and dolls which to me are almost like a sister pieces which together form a kind of a complete takedown of the fashion industry itself so kind of to summarize this all into into some form of a question what exactly was was like both both to unique and and look like what was your coming viewpoints what, what was the point of view you came into into dolls and red carpet i'll let luke why don't you kind of explain like the <laughs> the the creation of those because that i says i think something you you started well i don't think much i just like to shoot and i i just happened to meet some stylists he 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 able to put out really good clothing and style style so I just asked him if he wants to do something together and Nick and I can shoot. He just doing the clothing and the styling for us. So for me, it's just a way of experimenting how I can able to put, put off like fashion video, fashion photos. Because I think the way that interests me is the, the visually people wearing different clothing and that kind of adding like when people put on different clothes they have different state of mind like they can pretend to be someone else or being different person so for me i can spot their minds that is changing when they have different outfit on and then the red carpet is really if nick put on the idea of people walking midnight with red carpet so turn the city into their stage which is phenomenal ideas. So we've fallen love in this idea right away. So we just decided to shoot it in midnight in a very busy city in the heart of the city, which is normally packed with people. But because we shoot it at midnight, so there's no one there. And then we're able to film and shoot there with just empty city and two models. So it's a way that uh, it's a kind of dreaming stuff, like not listening, uh, talk a lot, but just uh, the way we play with with the city, how we interact, like uh, put our dream when we live in the city, and then uh, people have the freedom to be someone else. So I think styling and then fashion shoot is about dream, right? Dream come true or being someone uh, you wanted to be. So for me, it's just a, it's just a fun stuff you know i love to just, just, just like i say i love filming stuff so just be yeah just trying yeah and, and and for the ideas for the like the concepts like luke basically said he wanted to shoot these videos and i knew that the point of them you know the the for these the the images and the photography is the star should have should be the star of these works so i tried to come up with concepts that were um connected to fashion in a way that were simple um but could allow you know interesting images and to show off the clothes and the photography and luke's 
you know, composition. And so they basically were just concepts that I started with. I think it's interesting that that you said that like they're kind of punk and anti anti fashion mm-hmm. and like a condemnation of fashion. That might be like a like something inside me maybe that like when I came up with the concept that I'm putting it on like that kind of came out naturally. But I I think this I also think the the that a lot of that maybe has to do with the styling choices of the stylist. Um, I think he has a, a, a kind of punk aesthetic as well. So, mm. so I think that that's, that's a big part of it. I, yeah, but I really love the way that Luke used the imagery, especially in, in both of them, but especially in, in dolls. I rewatched it recently before this interview, just kind of looking back at some of the stuff and, you know, it's, I forgot how impressive a lot of the photography is in that. Yeah, I kind of like to, to explain uh, perhaps a bit like what I meant or, or how sure. I, I, I saw them as, as a certain type of condemnation of the fashion industry. In in dolls, well, fashion altogether, it has always been somewhat objectifying of women. And they are kind of like, like mannequins. In that sense, are living mannequins, mm. and in here we we have the the shoot called dolls, where especially in 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 the film, you you have it's it's cut in a way that you have this kind of a stop motion movement yeah. there with them, which kind of enha- enhances the feeling that these people here now they are living dolls, they are living mannequins, and then. Mm. Especially, like, like I said, to me, it was a sister piece with, with red carpet, which, in in my eyes, approaches the, the kind of another thing that fashion usually loves to, to, to do, which is to go into, basically go into other people's spaces. In 2022, there, there was a fashion show that was staged. The stage was created to resemble a skate park in 2019. Dose Gabbana Auto has had a fashion shoot in a UNESCO World Heritage Site. <laughs> They've held fashion shoots at Great Wall of China in Trevi Fountain and underwater. So fashion world, it joyfully, not to say colonizes, but colonizes other people's and other subculture spaces and borrows from them whenever it kind of just feels like it's old or it's okay, or whenever it wants something. It comes to, to punk culture and re- steals punk aesthetic because it just happened to feel like it. You know, the, today, today and tomorrow it will steal from the gay community or transgender people or right. whatever happens to be trending. That's kind of how fashion works. And then on, on red carpet... Basically, what you have, you have real streets, you have real urban environments, and you have the two models who have literally stolen the sacred red carpet and now has taken something from the fashion world and is is putting the red carpet on on actual streets to be trampled on and to tie around a trees and and stuff like that. Like to me. That was like red carpet and dolls to me. They came together as this this deeply critical and and kind of a, a actually really smart criticism 
of how fashion works and how high fashion works and behaves. I gotta say, I love these interpretations. I think it's great. <laughs> and that's and it's and you know what the best thing about it that is is that I think um, you know that's the cool thing about art too is that like you know a lot of the stuff that you're expressing is not something that that I don't think Luke and I had in mind when we were making the the piece, but you know we we did put thought and careful preparation into the way that we were doing it and we have our ideas about how about what it is and then you know you can see it and you can get that out of it it's just the great thing about art and how it can be personal for other people and you can have that those different thoughts and it can inspire all that in you i think that's like just the really cool and it makes me feel pretty good that 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 you got so much out of these things that we worked on because luke and i did put a lot of um, effort and work into both of those pieces so I think it doesn't necessarily matter like that's the great thing about criticism and what you guys do um, and what Luke and I also do on Mint Volcano YouTube is like you know there's there's this other meaning that can come out of art and work when you interpret it um, and you can explore some of these things that are hidden inside of these pieces that maybe the artist didn't even know were there <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's that to me is, is the reason why art is a universal language. And as long as we kind of keep communicating in some form or the other, perhaps, you know, we, we still might have like some hope. It's, but basically it's, it's the founding idea of, of whole EU. Like as long as people have a space, they have a reason to come together and de- talk about things. People, it, it kind of keeps people away from doing stupid radical mistakes. So in that way, I see art as something that can have a healing factor, and it can have a factor. It can. It's a. It's a kind of a. It's a language that transcends the, the national barriers and and language barriers itself. Yeah. So from my end and from our end. You know, from from the Flick Labs end, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having us. That you you came to the show today it was it was lovely to have you back here on the lab. Hey, this was great. So regarding just the future direction, of course we uh, discussed dark slant, dark landscape, uh, which is still looking for its release on film festivals, and you gave yeah, us it's... access to that film. So thank you for that. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's looking for screening right now. Um, uh, we'll see if it where it it shows if it does, but um, it will eventually. I will release it on YouTube as well. But you can find a lot of our films on uh, on Mint Volcano YouTube channel where we also review films. But you can find our our work there, and then a lot of the short films are on my website nickvakey.com. And then Luke, you have a lot of photography work as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, longphonereview.com. <laughs> Yeah, and we will add the the websites and and the link to the websites, also to to Mint Locano YouTube page in in the sh- in this episode's comments and descriptions. So you know, to everyone in in the Flick Lab audience who listens to today's episode, you know, remember to click those links and check those websites, people. Yeah, some really awesome <laughs> material there. Yeah, support. Oh, thank you. you. Uh, future direction. Do you want to promote anything, or do you have anything in plans right now? 
so yeah like uh the youtube channel i think i would really like people to check out um yeah. i've also you know dark landscape is looking for places to shown but i'm also working on some new projects uh that are hopefully it's funny we, we mentioned getting back to mess a little bit I, I i'm shooting a film that i guess i'll talk about later but mm-hmm. i just shot a film this last weekend where i was mm-hmm. i was playing with a dead fish so so back to my roots <laughs> Nick, gosh <laughs> <laughs> uh uh yeah uh so you know i'm always trying to create more stuff work on stuff and uh i will be moving back to america next year sometime so hopefully uh luke and i can have a filmmaking reunion and create some cool stuff together again i'm really looking forward to that and it would be great to create some art with you guys as well at some point oh yes who knows all right as you know you can send us a message by email we're on facebook twitter or whatever the heck it is these days x uh we're also available on instagram youtube odyssey.com and Uh, Of course, if you simply want to listen to us, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all those regular podcasting apps. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Thank you guys so much. Hope to hear from you soon. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Yeah, later. So, from my end and from our end... You know, from from the Flick Labs, and thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having us. That you you came to the show today it was it was lovely to have you back here on the lab. And <laughs> Grinfi has died again. Oh no! As it's typical, and Kark is connecting like crazy. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs>